afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, since the beginning of time, it seems, we have thought that we had to fight the good fight. We had to fight for good over evil. And so, many a person has spent a lifetime trying to discern the difference between the two and trying to err on the side of goodness. But what if you knew that the battle, that battle between good and evil, is doing more harm than good? What if you knew that the battle between good and evil is actually preventing your wholeness? But you say, how can we stop the battle? Won't evil just take over? That's what we fear, isn't it? Yet, those who have managed to establish wholeness no longer fight battles between good and evil. Rather, they have integrated all aspects of the self. If you want to know more, stay here for the whole show today. So, okay, we've got these definitions of good and evil that come from our culture, our families, our religions, and those are all different for different cultures, different families, and different religions. So there's not one standardized version of goodness or badness. One example that I use fairly frequently is Osama bin Laden thought that it was a good thing to fly planes into the trade towers in the Pentagon. Lots of people in America tend to disagree. Also, the people who flew those planes thought that it was so good that they were willing to die for it and that when they died, they would go to heaven for doing it. So extreme was their was their belief system. So these are, of course, extremists who did this. But that's what they believed. So their definition of goodness would not at all be the same as many Americans' definitions of goodness. And that's how it is with the definition of goodness or badness. They are defined differently by different people. So even if we say that it's bad to kill, there are lots of times when we say it's good to kill. And and so the, the flux between those definitions leaves lots and lots of gray area. It's not just black and white, and there's not one standardized definition of evil that says this is evil and and anything that falls in this category is always evil because there's many times that evil looks good and good looks evil by by the standards left out there from the various cultures and definition and uh, families and and uh, religions so it's really hard for us to determine that and that's part of the problem uh, but the other part of the problem is anything that we say is on a polarized definition leaves lots of area in the spectrum in between, and the gradations in between those two poles, there's lots of gray area. And so we don't really know for sure where things fall on the spectrum. Uh, and besides that, and this is the most important part that I want you to carry home with you today, is that Um, We measure our worth by these standards that are not standardized. And so what we're doing is deciding on whether or not we're worthy people based on this battle between good and evil that's not even a standardized battle that can't even, the definitions of good and evil of this battle can't even be standardized worldwide. So that's a really risky thing to do is to, to put our sense of worth on something we can't even define. That makes it a grave risk for us. And because one of the diagnostic criteria for major depressive disorder is a sense of deep unworthiness. 
one of the one of the reasons why people commit suicide is a sense of deep unworthiness. One of the reasons why people ha- uh, are not able to establish their lives in any kind of way that looks like managing their lives is because of a deep sense of unworthiness. So where do we get that? Well, we get that from our standards about good and evil that have been projected on us from an early, early age. And so we've decided that uh, this is good and that's bad. And we it's just the, the version of goodness and badness that we adopted in our family of origin. So we, we decide that I'm a good person if, or I'm a bad person if, and it's not just that I do good things if, and I do bad things if, it's I am a good person if, and I am a bad person if. And so we, we start defining our identities based on these concepts, and that's what makes it a battle of between, uh, the battle between good and evil, a uh, battle for our unworthiness. And that's what makes it dangerous. So... What do I mean when I say wholeness? <clears throat> well, I want to give you a really clear definition of that, um, and it's hard to do because wholeness is, is um, not something that we talk about a lot. It's not something that we even understand a lot. And when we try to wrap our minds around it, it seems very difficult. Why? Because we have squared off between polarities in lots of different areas of our, areas of our lives, and most specifically in this area of good and evil. So it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around this concept of wholeness without including good and bad. So we might want to say, well, a good person is whole. <laughs> no, not so. What, what about all the aspects of that person that have, have been not so good? You know, do those get thrown out? Well, that's what we've been taught, that we're supposed to throw out the things that are bad and keep the things that are good. And what that essentially means is that we're going to end up repressing those things that we think are bad and uh, trying to hold on to the things that are good, which we're not able to do because we can't really control our own behavior that well because the unconscious is always operative. And one of the things that's in the unconscious now is all that stuff we threw out that we thought was bad. So it's got an energy now, and it's sitting in the unconscious waiting for an opportunity to uh, express. And so it wants to bounce out of there at the slightest opening and, and, and show itself. But we've called it bad, and we've said, well, it's bad to have that. And so we're not going to let it come out if we can control it, but it comes out later, and it's usually in some way that we either don't know about, haven't paid attention to because it's still that unconscious, or it comes out in some way that's you know not very pretty to us or other people, and we're kind of ashamed of it and want to shove it back in there again. So... What we're trying to do is split off between good and evil, and we're and we're trying to get rid of evil, and in the process, we're not becoming whole because we're splitting ourselves off between consciousness and unconsciousness. So I guess the truest, most perfect definition of wholeness would be that we uh, are all are the unconscious and the conscious are united as one. Carl Jung has said that the wholeness consists uh, in large part of uniting the feminine and the, and the masculine aspects of our, our the conscious world and the unconscious world um, as much as is possible. He's also has said that when we can become self, that is the best uh, wholeness that we get. So when we can establish a recognition of an authentic, what I call the authentic self, he called self, um, then what we're doing is we're we're becoming whole. So self integrates various aspects of of our essence 
uh, into one unit, into a oneness, into a wholeness. But if we're trying to say, well, this part of me is good and that part of me is bad, then we're not uniting those aspects. So we can't be whole. Now, a lot that's scary for a lot of people that because they think, well, that means that we have that we have to accept the parts of us that are evil. And I would say it differently, and Thichnot Han said it differently too. He says, if we are, we are imprisoned by our ideas of good and evil, we want to only be good, and we want to remove all evil. But that's because we forget that good is made up of non-good elements. You cannot be good alone. You cannot hope to remove evil. In the light of non-duality, there is no problem. As soon as the idea of good is there, however, the idea of evil is also there. When you perceive reality this way, you will not discriminate against the garbage for the sake of the rose. You will cherish both. So that's Thich Nhat Hanh who said that. And, and I, uh, I think that's really, really true because in the light of non-duality, what that means is there's not a good and a bad. There's not a good and an evil. There's only oneness. And in that oneness, there are all things. What we have decided is if I don't like it, it's bad. If I do like it, it's good. And that's really pretty much how we have come to define good and evil. If I like it, it's, it's, uh, it's good. And if I don't like it, it's bad. And, uh, and so if I, if I don't like the way you've treated me, then you're being bad. And if I do like the way you've treated me, then you're being good. Um, and we can do that same thing to ourselves. So we, we've got these magical definitions of good and evil in the first place. And then in the second place, we try to hoist that magic around and try to uh, define our lives by it. And so that, what we're doing when we do that is living into an illusion. But in order for me to really say this out loud, I have to address the idea of the devil. Because a lot of people think there really is a devil and that it's a superhuman entity who can control our behavior and our thoughts and can tempt us and can even destroy our lives. And some even believe that we can be possessed of a devil. Okay, so uh, there is a definition. I'm going to use the Bible because that's where it comes from. Uh, the word diabolos is the word for devil, as it's used in the New Testament, where it's mostly used. It's not used very often in the Old Testament. Um and what that word means when you break it down to its root language is to throw something out without regard to where it falls. And the word Satan simply means to accuse. And the word Satan is used in the Old Testament even when they're not talking about that supposedly superhuman entity. It's used with the word accuse. It's the same word. If some man is accusing another man of something, the same word Satan is often used. So uh, so it just simply means to accuse. So how can you accuse and throw out at the same time? Well, if I throw out my very essence, if I throw out my soul without regard to where it falls and try to live into an identity just to prove my worth, just to prove that I'm connected to my family of origin, just to prove that I'm an okay person, then what I'm doing is doing is that metaphysical definition of the devil. I am throwing things into the unconscious that need to be seen consciously. And what one of the main things that needs to be seen consciously is my soul. Another uh, word for self, as Carl Jung would use it, for self and soul are very con- similar terms in his way of thinking. So um, if I throw out my soul, then or, and without regard to where it falls, 
then what I'm doing is uh, I'm going to have to have some other definition of myself. And where I'm going to get that is based on what other people tell me, what other people show me, what they've projected onto me, what they've mirrored for me. And I'm going to have to look at that mirror and say, oh, well, that's who I am. And I'm going to have to live out of that definition of myself. And all of my fears, all of my connections, all of my attractions will be based in that identity. They won't be coming from my soul. They'll be coming from my identity. Until I begin to resolve that and start becoming more whole and, and living into a more uh, a truer essence of who I am. Let me give you another thing that Thich Nhat Hanh said in his book, Essential Writings. He said, people think it's impossible to establish a system of ethics without referring to good or evil. But clouds float, flowers bloom, and wind blows. What need have they for a distinction between good and evil? There are people who live like clouds, flowers, and wind, who don't think about morals, yet many people point to their actions and words as religious and ethical models, and they praise them as saints. These saints simply smile. If they revealed that they don't know what is good and what is evil, people would think they were crazy. And I think that's, that's a, that sums it up perfectly. We don't really need these concepts of good and evil, but we think we do because we're scared of ourselves. We're scared of our own behavior. We're scared of who we'll be without these concepts. We think that we need an external control. We need to locate the control for our lives outside of ourselves by uh, based in the standard of good and evil. So if we obey the moral codes of our given family system, then we'll, we can call ourselves good people and we can say that we're worthy and we can say, move on from there and say, okay, I can manage my life now. I'll give myself permission to manage my life now because... I'm a good person, and I know that I'm a good person because I do the things that my family of origin said was good stuff. And uh, But then I might go to another country or another family. I might marry into a family, for example, who thinks that what my family thought was good isn't good. Now we got some problems. Now I've just got to reorganize my whole idea of what's good and what's bad. So uh, the philosopher Kierkegaard said that he, rather than deciding what's good and what's evil, he decided to throw out both of the, both of the ideas completely and, and not live in that philosophy of good and evil at all. And I'm, I'm with Kierkegaard. I think that's really uh, a, a more um, effective way of living into um, our sense of self, our sense of worth, uh, without having to define it based on concepts that we can't even define on a standardized global basis. So, um, so having said that, I want to say that uh, the battle is doing more harm than good because, A, it's a battle. It does more harm than good because it's a battle. When I'm having to constantly make myself be a good person, I'm in, involved in a battle. And battles with inside of uh, one consciousness creates a great sense of internal conflict. And that creates a great sense of anxiety, or as we would call it today, stress. Stress is just another modern-day term for anxiety. That means we're pretty much anxious people because we're trying to be good. And what that means to me is that we're trying to be good enough. We're trying to be good enough so that we can actually call ourselves worthy. The reason Thich Nhat Hanh referred to clouds and flowers and uh, things like that of nature was because he, he believes, like many Buddhists believe, 
that nature is informative of our deepest essence. That nature is telling us what's really our deepest nature, our deepest essence of who we are. And, and that the Buddha nature is more like nature in that it, it operates organically. It operates from its, its own energy source. It operates from its own sense of self. It doesn't operate from shoulds and have tos and ought tos. It operates from its own just essence. So that's, you know, that's really important for us to recognize. So if you think about this, and I've said this many times on this show, and I'll probably say it many more times before we're done, that if you look at an oak tree and you think, well, that oak tree came from an acorn, that acorn didn't look up at the pine tree next door and say, gosh, I wish I could be a pine tree. You know, it never had comparative thoughts like we do when we live into the good evil complex. We never compared one thing to another and said, I should be more like that. Let me try to do, grow those funky little pine cones. Those look really cool. No, he didn't. it didn't do that. It just did what was in its essence to do. It's, it was an acorn, so it grew into an oak tree. And that's what we can do when we can drop this whole battle of good and evil and just come from our deepest essence and live into that. So it's important for us to recognize that that distinction can be made by looking at nature, what's organic, what's real, what's what's really very natural in nature, so that we're not living into uh, social constructs like good and evil, which is all good and evil really are, uh, the concepts of good and evil really are. We, we live into um, the deepest essence of who we are. We live from that and to that, and that is wholeness. That is where we're not trying to divide ourselves and put one part of us in the unconscious and keep another part uh, very socially oriented so that it can please the social world. We're not doing that anymore. We're living into our deepest essence and living from that deepest essence. So it's, so it's important for us to make that distinction. There's the battle for good and evil, and then there's wholeness. And those two constructs are very, very different. And so I wanted to give you an idea of that before we get into the depth of the show. But we're about to get into greater depth in the next section, in the next segment of this show. So you want to be here for that. Stay tuned for that next section right after this message. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. 
Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save $20 today with coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free. 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about good versus evil versus wholeness. And we've got a Super Soul Sunday coming up on talking about a subject that's very similar, not the same at all, but very similar in, t- in that it talks about self-worth. This coming Sunday, August the 20th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN. On that show, Oprah Winfrey talks to best-selling author Shauna Nequist about the drive for perfection and the disparity between living the life you believe in versus the life you're actually living. As the daughter of megachurch pastor Bill Hybels, Shauna grew up in a Christian household with a deep sense of love. Shauna shares with Oprah the moment in her life when she felt isolated and disconnected to the people she cared for the most, which led her to reevaluate her sense of self. Shauna's recent book, Present Over Perfect, is an invitation on how to practice being present and understanding self-worth amidst the journey of life. So you want to be there for that show. It's, a very, it's going to be a very interesting conversation. And here's a clip from that show. So what you realized is that you were in this constant push for perfection. And as you started to peel back the layers, what did you find underneath that struggle? I think I thought that work and hustling and being known as responsible would prove my worth. I think I was looking for a deep sense of value. Do I matter? Am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I working hard enough? And I was using work and busyness to kind of earn those things. And when you realized that that's what you were doing, what was your next step? At that point, then it became a spiritual question, right? Mm -hmm. Because as a Christian, theologically, I believe in unconditional love. I believe in my value and the value of every human being. Mm -hmm. I believe that we're deeply loved and created on purpose every single one of us that we don't have to earn or push or prove and I knew that in my brain I had known that all my life in my brain but it did not bear out in the way that I lived and so that was the next thing I had to shore up beautiful that sounds wonderful I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to seeing that show this Sunday August the 20th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN 
And I hope you will tune in too. It'll be a good follow-up for the show. Because what she's talking about there is that sense of self-worth in which we measure ourselves by some standards. She was talking about measuring herself by work and her busyness. And uh, that's certainly one of them. But what we're really trying to prove is that we're good enough. Whether it's good money, a lot of people want to prove their worth by, uh, by adding money to their bank accounts. Um, whether it's wealth, whether it's the kind of house we have, whether it's the kind of partner we've picked, whether it's, uh, you know, this whole thing of, of, of being a really moral person, whatever that is, it comes from that striving to be good. My, my worth is based in my belief that I'm a good person, and what I'm really trying to do is be good enough to be considered to be worthy. And what I'm going to say is that we need to throw out all the standards. We need to throw out all the standards. Because the standards are things we all made up. They're based in illusion. They're not based in the truth of presence. And that's what she's talking about. Shauna Nequist is talking about presence. I haven't read her book, but I, I, I do know something about presence. And what we're talking about being present means I'm going to be present with whatever comes up inside of me as well as whatever presents itself in my external world. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be aware. I'm going to be fully aware. I'm going to be uh, paying attention to what goes on there with that. I'm going to be paying attention to how I feel while I'm paying attention to exactly what's going on objectively in the world around me. And so what, what that means is that I'm going to be discerning. I'm going to be paying attention to my inner and my outer world simultaneously. People say, well, we can't do that. Those same people who talk about multitasking all the time say we can't pay attention to what's going on in the inner world and the outer world at the same time. It's very interesting to me how the people that are the most hot to multitask are also the most hot to tell me that they can't do that. They can't pay attention to the inner world and the outer world at the same time, even though they can wash the dishes and take care of the kids and cook the supper and talk on the phone all at the same time. They can't do all that other. They can't do what I'm talking about. Yes, you can. It's really not that hard at all. It means being present. And that's what wholeness is made up of. It's made up of awareness. So the more aware I am of what's going on inside me and outside of me at the same time, the more whole I become. Because what that means is that I'm, I'm bringing all of me to the table. I'm bringing all of me to the room. I'm bringing all of me to the dialogue. I'm bringing all of me to the discussion. I'm being there. I'm present. And that means I can be present without judging myself. So uh, Shauna Nequist also talked, just in that brief little segment, she talked about unconditional love. And that, that in her belief system, which she's a Christian, she believed that um, that that we're all made purposefully and that uh, there's unconditional love from the divine for us. And um, it's really hard to put that together with these deeply moral concepts of good and evil because when we when we try to do that, there's got to be some throwing out there. So it's unconditional love, but you can do some things that will mean that you're, the person who loves you unconditionally is going to stop loving you unconditionally, is going to start loving you conditionally, and they're going to send you to hell or they're going to punish you in some kind of way. So this idea of good and evil does not fly very well with the concept of unconditional love. Now, that's not to say that I'm saying to everybody, oh, just go willy-nilly, do whatever you want to do. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
And that's not what Thich Nhat Hanh was saying when he said it's possible to have ethics without thinking about good and evil. We can have a strong sense of values while at the same time being whole. And it doesn't mean it's good or evil. It just means that these are the things that I value. Um, and these are the things that I want to live into because these are the things that are, seem truest to me. So that's why I talk so much about the con- the substituting true versus false for good versus evil. Because when we talk about good versus evil, what we're talking about is having to split off from the things that are evil and try to be good or identifying with evil and laughing at goodness. And you know there's people that does that do that as well. So and what I say is as long as we've got the concept of good and, be, good and evil, there are going to be some people who identify with evil. That's going to happen. If we can throw the whole concept out, then there's no place for them to identify with evil. But we've got those concepts so ingrained in our, in our beings that we, we think it's impossible to think in any other terms. And that's why we have such trouble with this concept of unconditional love. But unconditional love doesn't mean you get to go willy-nilly and do whatever you want. Nobody's ever going to be offended. People will be offended or hurt by what you've done sometimes. But but what I'm saying is that uh, unconditional love means that there's, there's an observation of your behavior and your thoughts and your feelings without judgment. Um, now, some people have said that Krishnamurti came up with this quote that said something about... Um, how the highest form of intelligence was evaluation, I mean, uh, observation without evaluation. Now, I've tried to find that quote, and I can't find it anywhere, so I'm not going to say for sure that he said it, but it's been attributed to him. Nonetheless, it's very true that I do believe that one of the highest forms of intelligence is for us to be able to look at ourselves without judging ourselves, to be able to look at reality without judging it as good or bad be able to look at our own thoughts and feelings and, and behaviors and um, the, 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 the things we want to do or the things that we desire to do that, you know, may not be considered to be, uh, you know, may some people might consider them to be bad, but we're looking at them and not judging them as bad, but rather just looking at them and trying to understand them, trying to hear them, trying to be present with them. That's the difference. Um, to be able to just be present means that we are, in that sense, being willing to love unconditionally all the aspects of ourselves. And that unconditionality means that there are no conditions that I would, would, would make me send aspects of myself into the unconscious. There are no conditions that would make, you know, force me to go blind to what I'm doing. Uh, but we have great fears about that. We have great fears that say, you know, I, what if I do something that's that nobody likes? What if I do something that everybody would would shame me for? And that's where our big idea about evil comes from is is from that social construct that says, well, people have the right to shame you about this because this is bad, and people don't have any right to shame you about this because this is good. And so w- we live into concepts of shame because we also fight the battle of good versus evil. And that's why I believe Kierkegaard was right in saying instead of saying picking good over evil, he was going to throw out the whole thing and uh, the whole battle between good and evil. 
Because it's just as hard for us to define good as it is for us to define evil. In fact, I think it's probably a little harder for us to define good than it is for us to define evil. We're pretty, we, we're real quick to define evil, in fact. We're, we judge other people based on their behavior all the time. We gossip about them. We, if we don't ever say anything, we have it in our heads that they're being bad for doing X, Y, and Z. But, it, but when it comes to doing good peop, good things, well, we know nobody's perfect, so we're not as willing to attribute goodness to someone as we are badness to someone. And that, that makes self-worth all the harder to find. So this idea that people could shame me for doing something that I do or thinking something that I think or feeling something that I feel uh, is where we get our concept of evil a lot uh, because it's basically a social construct. And it has to do with how we are observed and evaluated. And, and, uh, and the more we do that, the less conscious we are. Because the minute we start evaluating our behavior, the minute we start saying that this behavior is good and that behavior is bad, that's the same minute in which we're going to square off against aspects of the self and send part of them into the unconscious, relegating them to the deep closets of our, our minds and not allowing ourselves to be aware of them. In other words, we're not allowing ourselves to be present with them. So, you know, if you take that and make it into a metaphor that is social, we could say, you know, uh, you know what Jesus said about visiting the prisoners. You know, he said that uh, if you've done that unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And he mentioned visiting prisoners in that in that uh, little speech that he made. Um, and... Uh, what what that means is that, you know, we would go see somebody in jail who was considered to be bad, and that person would be, uh, you know, a bad person because he or she did bad things and therefore is not allowed to be in society. And that's putting it nicely. Most people would say they did bad things, therefore they're evil. And, and so we can, but if we say, if we take that seriously, that Jesus said we could go visit the sick, I mean, visit the sick, yes, he did say that, but also visit the people who were prison, imprisoned, what, what that means is that we are willing to be present with someone who most people would consider to be evil. And we can do that same thing inside of ourselves. We can be very present with those things that have been shut off into the unconscious because we think we can't allow them out into the public world because somebody will shame us if we do. And uh, we can begin to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm willing to sit with that. Just like we might be willing to sit with a prisoner and say, I'm willing to sit with you and I'm willing to hear from you your deepest pain. I'm willing to hear from you your strongest fears. I'm willing to hear from you the things that motivated you to do the things you did. I'm willing to hear you in your deepest, uh, um, most critical, most damning self-observations. I'm willing to be present with you in that. And I will say to you that for prisoners who have people come and visit them and who are really willing to be present that way, there is a great healing that takes place for those prisoners. And they, can, they testify to that, that there's great healing that takes place for them when somebody comes without evaluation, without judgment, and just sits and is present with them as they explore their own world, inner worlds. And that, that's, no, I'm not denying the fact that there are some people out there who have some real deep pathology 
that can't be reached or won't be reached, at least until this person is ready for it to be reached. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying that's also there. But I, but I also recognize that as pathology, not as evil. And uh, so, but I, I think that part of the reason they square off into that is into being so bad that they can't be reached is because they've identified with badness. I am badness is what happens. And they, and they become so identified with it that the only way to prove that they are still alive is to keep doing more and more bad. So they have to keep up in the ante just to prove to themselves that they're really alive because otherwise, if they're not bad, they're not existing at all because they've, that, they've identified with badness that way. And that's why it's so scary for them to reach beyond that because if they reach beyond that, they might not be existing at all. And that's too scary, so they just won't. And uh, that's my theory. Uh, you don't have to agree with that, and, and it's, it's just one of the many theories on psychopathology. But um, I think that it's important to understand that the more we, we have, the more we allow this fight between good and evil to possess our identifications on, with our social constructs, the, the more it's going to take over the, the lives of some people who must identify with badness in order to be seen by their family at all. So if my father or my mother think that I'm bad and they treat me like I'm bad, then I'm going to think that I am bad and I'm going to live that out just to prove that I exist because otherwise they don't see me at all. And that's, that's a really sad scenario, and one of the saddest, I think. But, but, it, but it, it does exist in many homes across the world. So I do think there are, there are children who identify with that so early in life that they can't even remember it or have any concept of how it came to be. They just think they're bad people. And, uh, and, and, and so it's important for us to recognize that if we could sit with some of these people, it's possible that they might be able to find something deeper inside themselves that isn't bad, but just has a lot of pain and a lot of fear and a lot of sense of, if I'm not doing this, then am I alive at all? Um, so um, that in that same way, we can sit with ourselves, and in that in that being present is our unconditionality. So the unconditionality is in the willingness to be present without judgment, and that presence without judgment means that I'm willing to see whatever comes up. I'm willing to be present with whatever comes up, and that means that I'm willing to be unconditional about whatever comes up. And in the process, what I'm doing is opening the door to the possibility of wholeness. I'm not squaring off against goodness, against evil with goodness. I'm, I'm being whole. So that's a really important uh, thing I want you to really think about, trying to grasp because it, uh, it does identify wholeness in a, in a way that helps us be able to receive it. All right, well, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in another few minutes after these messages. So stay tuned for the last segment of the show. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We can all use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash empowerment and register for free. Try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free. 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back for the final segment of our show. We're talking today about good versus evil versus wholeness and what we've said so far is that uh, the battle between good and evil is one that creates a great deal of anxiety and it cuts us off from aspects of ourselves that we could possibly get some gain from. And also that uh, wholeness is very different in that it allows us to be present with our deepest uh, fears, our deepest concerns, our deepest essence, and that it brings in the possibility of unconditional love, which moves us out of the battle for worth or self-worth and moves us closer towards something that's just a natural way of being uh, that, is a, that is the self, that is the authentic self, and that is whole. So that's what we've said so far. I want to talk a little bit more about this, this the fact that it's a battle. Uh, the battle versus, of good versus evil is a battle, and it's one in which we actually end up contriving emotions and thoughts in order to prove to ourselves that we're worthy. So we'll tell ourselves that we think certain ways and we'll tell ourselves that we feel certain ways and we try to contrive those feelings and those thoughts in order to tell ourselves that we're good people. So we don't want to think that there might be bad thoughts or bad feelings in there so we contrive good feelings and good thoughts so that we can push those things that we might consider to be evil away into the unconscious. And uh, that contrivance is not natural. It is not natural. And we talked at the beginning of the show that what we're looking for is a natural way of, of, of being our, who, our, who we actually are, our deepest, most true essence. 
And uh, so this battle between good and evil keeps us from doing that in part because it keeps us in the battle so that I have to always be battling with what I consider might be evil. uh, And therefore, I'm shutting aspects of myself off. So I think it might be evil to get mad at someone who, uh, who, you know, I, I don't think they've really done anything wrong, that I, I really shouldn't be mad at them because really they haven't done anything wrong to me, but I have this feeling of anger at them. Um, so that's really bad, and I shouldn't have that. So let me send that away and let me t- con- contrive these other feelings and pretend to myself that I don't have that feeling because that feeling makes no sense anyway, so why should I have it? So I'm just going to tell myself that I don't have that feeling and I'm going to tell myself instead that what I do have is these feelings of kindness and worth and I'm going to go out of my way to be especially nice to this guy because actually I have these feelings of anger at him. And uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to be being nice but every now and then a little sarcastic remark might come out because that anger is still in there and it wants to express wants us to notice it. If, if nobody else can ever see it, it at least wants to be noticed by us. And and so it, it's still in there and it, and it wants to come out. So every now and then it'll, it will come out because I might give it a little tiny opening and it'll come out in some kind of passive aggressive way with this guy. And that guy's going to be scratching his head as to why it is that I'm saying those things to him. And he's not even going to know what's going on. And he's going to sense that there's something really off there and that's all that's going to happen. So really, I'm pretending to myself that I don't have what I call negative feelings for this guy. But actually, the guy's figured out that I got something going on. And it's not necessarily positive. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, have conveyed to him my anger in some way. But he's not going to understand it. And, and just like I don't understand it. Whereas, if I was able to sit with that anger... And just allow it to be what it is. It might actually tell me why it's there. It might inform me that this guy reminds me of of my grandfather who was mean to me. Um, it might tell me that he he smells a little bit like my grandfather, or that he uses the same aftershave as my grandfather. And I didn't like my grandfather. I didn't trust my grandfather. I didn't, you know, he was not kind to me. So. Now, I'm just making up that thing about grandfather. It could be anything. But for us to be able to understand what's going on when we transfer something about our childhood or something about somebody we didn't like or something else onto another person, it's very easy for us to just assume that it's that other person. And then we think there might be something wrong with us because it makes no sense to us. It makes no sense why we feel that way, so we just want to push it away. And there's a whole lot of pushing away going on in our world today. In fact, um, there's a lot of uh, name-calling, a lot of racism, a lot of polarizing, of marginalizing, you know, a lot of stuff like that going on because of this battle between good and evil. Because we think these people are good and these people are evil and we've decided who they are based on our philosophy of life. So the Nazis... The neo-Nazis in Charlottesville this weekend thought that it was good to protest and to be violent. And uh, the people who were protesting against them thought that it was good to protest against them. And uh, so, uh, while of course I am very much against 
the neo-Nazi idea uh, of, of racism and uh, marginalization and uh, violence, totally against that. That does not stand in my value system at all in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, this, the idea of good and evil is what created that whole idea that, oh, there's some people on the planet based on the pigment of their skin that are so different that they're evil, and so we just need to get rid of them. And there's other people that are good, and those are the white people. And that that idea is is a really strong part of the neo-Nazi movement and the and the KKK. The all those all those hate groups are based in this concept that some people are good and some people aren't. And the people that are good, they're my people, and the people that are bad, that's the other people. And so we can split that off in external fashions, and we can definitely split that off in internal fashions so that we can square off against ourselves and say that there's parts of me that are evil and parts of me that are good, and I need to get rid of the evil parts and keep the good. So we can see it in the external world, but and it's harder for us to see it in the internal world, but the same exact kind of inner conflicts are happening with us that are happening in the external world. And that's what we need to see. And those inner conflicts makes us, make us project onto other people our own inner conflicts. So the more I don't like my own difference, the less I'm going to like difference in other people. So that's why we see people, for example, who are what we call homophobic. They're homophobic and very commonly homophobic because they see themselves as either homosexual, lesbian, bisexual, you know, something like that, somewhere along the spectrum of sexual orientation. They see themselves and they don't like it. They're afraid it's evil, so they want to be against all homosexuals and all lesbians and all bisexuals. They want to be against all the LGBTQ people because they are bad people, because I think that I'm being bad when I have homosexual leanings or lesbian leanings or bisexual leanings or anywhere along that spectrum. So, um, you know, when I, that's, that's how that happens. It happens because I hate my, that part of myself, and I, and I want to send it away into the unconscious, and I don't want to behave out of it. And therefore, I project onto all those other people that are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. Those people are just bad. They're all bad. And so I don't want to know anything about them. I want to hate them. I want to discriminate against them. I want to be violent to them. I want to do whatever I can to, get the, to rid the world of those awful, awful people. Because Why? Because I'm so scared of my own sexual orientation. And so that, that's how that works. So this good and evil thing is, again, it's harming us. It's keeping us from being able to receive other people uh, because we hate aspects of ourselves and we project that hate out onto other people. And uh, self-hatred comes from this battle of good and evil. Self-loathing comes from this battle of good over evil. So we're trying so hard to be good that anything we consider to be bad inside of us is to be hated. And that's why I have people come into my office regularly who say, I just hate myself. And I very commonly say, which is the self you hate and who's the hater? Because what we want to know is what aspect of yourself is the hater and what aspect is the one that's hated? Because I'm going to say the hater is just as much the problem as the hated. But we don't think of it that way. We don't think in terms of what, you know, how we're projecting onto ourselves all kinds of ideas or interjecting all kinds of ideas about who we should be instead of being with who we are. And uh, so it's, uh, it's important for us to recognize that clear distinction between 
uh, uh, wholeness in the, in the battle between good and evil that creates external battles in our world as well as creating internal battles for ourselves. So that idea of the battle itself is the problem. Uh, and, and, uh, and that gets projected out into our worlds. And we just saw it this weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and it, uh, so I want to I say that when we talk about being present, however, if we could get, for example, the KKK people or the neo-Nazi people to sit down and listen to those people they hate, they might get to know them and find out that they don't hate them after all. Uh, you know, and in that same way, if I can sit with myself and, and, and be present with those parts of myself that I hate and really listen to those parts of myself that I hate, then I will probably stop hating them. The reason bias exists is because we don't know people. Now, I have literally been accused of things that I have not done by people who did not know me. Because they were they they saw me do something and they made up their minds about what that meant and what I was thinking and what I was doing when I did it, and they decided for me what I was thinking and feeling. And they then later told me you were thinking and feeling X, Y, and Z when that wasn't even close to what I was thinking and feeling. We've all had this happen to us. It's called a misunderstanding, <laughs> and it happens to all of us. And it's because we have so much fear around this good evil thing. That we, we are ready all the time to see it in other people. We're ready to, to decide, well, you're being good and you're being bad based on what I think you're doing. And, and so we're doing that fairly frequently. And that, that keeps us from being able to really sit down and listen. Whereas if, if you can sit down and listen to those people and get to know them a little bit, you might find that you actually can relate to them in ways that you never thought were possible before. Because now you've gotten to know them. Biased is based in not knowing people. The reason there's, uh, one of the reasons there's so much hatred of black people is because white people haven't gotten to know any black people. They segregated so much that there's not uh, a clear understanding of, you know, they're just human beings like we are and like, you know, white people are. So that whole idea is, uh, of bias is based in the constructs of good and evil. So I, I, I don't know you and I'm ready to decide you're good or bad based on that and you come up and have a different skin pigment than mine and I don't understand that so I'm afraid of it therefore it must be evil because if I'm that afraid of it it must be bad because that's how quickly we are re- uh, quickly we, we will are jumping into that concept of good and evil. I'm afraid therefore there's evil in the room. Um and and it's we're just absorbed in that concept of good and evil so much that the minute we start being afraid, that's when there must be something evil in the room. And of course, that's where a lot of our fantasies and ideas about uh, the presence of evil come from, and and, that, and the the ideas about demons and all of that comes from this idea of fear, the, uh, not the idea of fear, but the actual fear, where we're we're afraid, and therefore something must be evil in the room. Um, and so it's, it isn't, it, we aren't living in true or false, we're living in good or evil. And true or false is more true, because what it does is allow us to ask ourselves, is this really true? Does this resonate with my deepest inner being? Does this uh, offer me insight into my own behavior? Does this, is, is this 
me being able to sit and be present with myself, that that is more like truth. And when we encounter something that's false, our discernment and our being able to be present with ourselves will be able to tell us that, yes, that's false. And so we're not going to move forward with that. And uh, so that's a that's a easier concept for us to live with in a natural way than is this whole thing of good versus evil. So this has been a show where we've talked about uh, wholeness versus good versus evil. And uh, we've decided that wholeness is a uh, more well-rounded, more open, more uh, healthy concept. And, uh, and good and evil, the battle versus good and evil just keeps us stuck. So that's what we have for today. We're going to be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 